You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. First of all, I'm going to look at verses 1 to 9. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Adam, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Adam has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Adam, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Adam is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, those of you who know Isaiah 7.14, uh, you will know, of course, the words, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And that's often cited, as it should be, at Christmas. But one of the problems with reading this book, the Bible, is that people know or take individual verses and take them out of context. We kind of like have a cut-and-paste mentality, where, as a result, we end up often misunderstanding So in order to hear God speak to us, we do need to know the context. And uh, I want to share some of that with you, and I hope you'll see how it applies uh, to, to us today and why it's so important at Christmas. And the first part is just simply this, that God calls us to faith in the midst of a great darkness. In Our world and in our culture, sometimes there are people who feel profoundly discouraged and profoundly depressed. Those of us who are Christians, you can see the darkness. It just comes and it just sometimes overwhelms you. That's not changed. Things are not getting worse. Things are not getting better. They kind of go up and down all the time. Take this instance here. We know exactly when this occurred. It was 2,748 years ago. So you can work it out. 735 BC. 735 years before the birth of Jesus, there was this situation. The Jewish people are divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel and Syria were seeking to unite against what was called Assyria, which is basically where Iraq and Iran now are. It's interesting how the Middle East is still always the center of conflict in the world. So 
Israel and Syria, they, they want Judah to, to help them against Assyria, which is kind of like the big superpower. And they invade Judah. They come to Jerusalem. And their intention is to put a new king on the throne who will do what they say, called the son of Tabeel. Their aim is to terrorize. The aim of the purpose of the terrorist is always to strike fear. And these are really, really dark days for God people. God's people. They have this massive pagan empire, Assyria, that's just going to swallow them. And then they have uh, Syria and their brothers and sisters, Israel, conspiring together against them. And if you go back to verse 2, you see what it says there. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. I know that some of you here are very, very shaken. I know that some of you really, really struggle with fear and with many, many other things. In fact, I want to ask what causes you to fear and despair? What causes you discouragement? What causes you to be overwhelmed? And what do you do about it? And what does God do about it? I think the situation of God's people has often been completely overwhelming. And that's why I find the Bible so encouraging. We live in a culture in which people think, well, you've always got to have everything going well for you to be encouraged. But what if things are not going well? What if there's a lot of bad stuff happening? What if, in the words of the Graham Kendrick song, which plays in my head a lot just now, great is the darkness that covers the earth. Come, Lord Jesus. What does God do? Well, he sends his prophet, Isaiah, to meet the king of Judah, to meet Ahaz. He's to take his son. His son has an interesting name. His son is called Shear Jashub, which means the remnant will return. And even that name is a, is a message from God. It's both a promise and a threat. It's a promise that God will always have his people. And it's a threat that Ahaz is going to be left with a remnant. Or that Israel, Judah, is going to be a remnant. That Assyria will win. That the northern kingdom of Israel will be destroyed. All that is in there. I think that's very appropriate to the situation of the church in Scotland today. I have no doubt whatsoever that the age of Christendom has gone. The age of the church in Scotland has gone. And uh, it's being replaced by a darkness. And a very discouraging and a very depressing darkness. But I believe absolutely that the remnant will remain and prosper. I hear continually and I witness continually churches that where there were thousands, there were now hundreds, and where there were hundreds, there are now tens. And I see collapsing. I could take you to churches all over Dundee, and this morning as they're meeting, even on Christmas Day, there will be a handful of very small children and then a vast majority of people over 70 and the majority of them women. Now, if you're an elderly woman over 70, you are very welcome. That is wonderful. And you're laughing. I know. <laughs> we'll go even higher than that. Over 70, over 80, whatever. You are very, very welcome. You make the 100, we are celebrating with you. 
And we want you here. This is not intended to be derogatory. But if you have a church that's made up 80% of over 70s, and most of them women, that church is dying. By definition, that church is dying. Incidentally, if you have a church that's only young people, there's something severely wrong with that as well. I question how much of a church of Jesus Christ that is. But that's what's happening in Scotland. And yet at the same time, what's happening in Scotland is this, is that there are churches that are growing and blossoming. I um, was involved in, right at the very beginning, of a church plant from a church called the Free North in Inverness, which had about 200 people in it. Big, big, massive building, beautiful building. And they took 14 of their people and started a church in Smithton. This week in Smithton, they had over five, they had no room. They had over 500 people at their carol service. I was at a church in Dingwall in the north, again, another free church. And again, it was down to 30, 40 people. And again, this week, they had over 400 people at a service. There's a lot of encouragement from things going on. And I'm talking, that's from the free church perspective, but I'm thinking of churches as well, some uh, Bridge of D Evangelical Church. I'm thinking of what's going on in St. Andrew's just now. We're very encouraged in the, the free church there. I'm thinking of Charlotte Chapel that has grown so much that finally they've decided to move and they bought... Uh, the old church of Scotland from which the free church started, which was going to be turned into a museum. And they bought it and they're refurbishing it and it's going to be reopened. There's real growing gospel witness in Scotland. But what's happening is, I think it's a remnant. I think what God is doing is saying, forget all these denominational things that you go for, but what you've got to do is remain faithful to me. And it's in that that the darkness will shine. I think the place is interesting. Um, the upper pool at the end of the aqueduct. Now, why is that interesting? For lots of, actually, there's different reasons. In, in Isaiah 36, verse 2, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, attacks. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field, Exactly the same place. Elakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to him. God sent Isaiah to meet with Ahaz at this exact spot, the end of the aqueduct, which was, uh, is, Jerusalem had no internal water supply. It had to be brought from outside, which made it very susceptible to attack. And Ahaz had gone and met, and when uh, Sennacherib attacks, that's where he meets them. I think Ahaz is there at the end of the aqueduct because he's making preparations for the worst. He's taking out an insurance. He's trying to guarantee that he buys um, a policy that ensures that when his boiler breaks down, people come immediately and fix it. And it doesn't always work like that. Um, that's what he's trying to do. And God comes to him and he says to this king, he says, everything's against you. Israel, Syria, Assyria, the circumstances are all against you. Keep calm and do not be afraid. In fact, the way that the language is used, he says, take 
care to be calm. It's, forgive me saying this, it's the Hebrew equivalent of saying, take a chill pill. Just, you know, some of you are, are just, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who knows? In terms of illness, in terms of finance, in terms of relationships. And uh, it's, it's funny that at Christmas, the season of peace and goodwill and light, stress, stress, stress. And God says, calm. Just calm down. I am in control. And look what he says. He talks about how they are uh, two smoldering, sorry, it's back there, two smoldering stubs of firewood. More colloquially, they are two fag ends. God says, these are two just bits of burnt out cigarette ends. And they're coming and they're threatening you. And he's saying, don't worry. They're going to be snuffed out. Don't worry about them. Now, it mustn't have looked like that to Ahaz. What actually happened was Syria was crushed three years later. Israel lost her northern territories a year later and was extinguished in 722. Israel, as it is then, no longer ex- was never again to exist. What we now know as Israel is Judah. Within 65 years, verse 8 says, she will be too shattered to be a people. That is what happened. Sometimes we might feel that the odds against us are so overwhelming that we can see no way out. And God says to us, stay calm. These are two fag ends that will be gone. They will disappear. The names that are listed there, the head of Adam is Damascus, the head of Damascus is only resin and so on. All that God is doing is listing the names so that people can see they're not worth relying on. They are only men. To name them is enough. It's a bit like naming our politicians today. Putin, Cameron, Salmond, Obama. Is that your hope? Are you really going into the new year saying Alex Salmond will lead us into the promised land or David Cameron will save us or President Obama is still the Messiah or maybe Putin, maybe it'll be a Russian that will come in or, you know, just to list the names, does that give you that kind of hope? What about Nelson Mandela? He's gone. But even then, as, as the great hope, I mean, Archbishop Tutu said that he was flawless and without fault. Well, Tutu's just a bample of a theologian. He hasn't a clue of what the Bible says. He really, he's, he's most, I mean, he, he's got a lovely giggle and he, he says a lot of things that are quite nice, but in terms of biblically, he's off the wall. You know, it really is crazy. Without flaw, Mandela, if you read, I, I really admired Nelson Mandela for lots of reasons, but there were lots of things that he got wrong. Um, Mandela, for example, was an awful father. He got a lot of his relationships wrong. He was very conscious. If you just read some of the things, he was very conscious of his own sin and his own weakness. Or think about other people who died this year. Margaret Thatcher. Maybe not many people in Scotland would regard her as the great white hope, but, but some people did. Margaret Thatcher died. Hugo Chavez. David Frost. Lou Reed, if you're into really good music. George Rafael Videla the Argentinian dictator who caused so many to die. Or how about this for a completely bizarre one? Some of you won't even have heard of this guy. Paul Walker, the actor. 
and the fast and the furious, killed in a car crash. Do you know that probably the biggest funeral in Scotland this year, or the biggest memorial, was for Paul Walker on the Kirkcaldy Esplanade, as hundreds of car freaks drove their cars to hold a memorial for him. An American actor on a TV show, and people gather from all over Scotland to mourn someone who they didn't know because he died in a, in a car crash. And I mean, at times like that, you think, where on earth is your hope? They're only men. God lists these names, and he says they're only human beings. And so God says, don't freak out about them. Don't worry about them. It's a call to faith in God, a play in words that, that goes on here. I have to be really, really careful uh, when I uh, talk about Hebrew, because I've got Will, who's a Hebrew professor here, and he, he'll, he'll correct me on this he can, if this is wrong. But I understand from this that there's a play here with Hebrew words, so that if you were to translate it, it would kind of, in the way that it's meant, it would kind of have this idea of, hold God in doubt, you won't hold out, or unsure equals insecure. In other words, God is going to Ahaz and saying, hold your faith, hold it, take care to be calm. Think about what Jesus said, fear not. The devil accuses, the devil wants you to be afraid. If you are a Christian, you do not need to be afraid. Not because everything is brilliant, not because everything will go well, but you don't need to be afraid because God is still God. Now, some would say, well, that's all very well. That's a nice pep talk that uh, Ahaz is given. It's a nice pep talk that we are given. You know, we can wear that fear not. We can think about that. But what has God given us to assure us? Now, apart from the fact that God has spoken, that should be enough. He knows what we are like, and he knows that we need a sign. So he does. He sends one. And we're, we'll look at that in a moment. But we're going to sing again. And I want to sing um, this time one of the songs from the Bible, a psalm that is a, a prophecy about Jesus as well, as this is a prophecy about Jesus and about his kingdom. Um, and it's at the end of this Psalm, psalm 72, it, took, it gives this idea of prayer and praise. Long may he live, may Sheba's gold be given to him abundantly. It's just talking about Jesus' kingdom coming. Uh, we'll look at the sign of that in a moment. So we've got this situation. We've got 2,748 years ago, a king who goes out of his city, goes to where the water supply comes in, and he's met with the prophet Isaiah and his son, whose very name is a warning to him, as well as a promise. And he's got this really dark and depressing situation, a mega power about to destroy him, and two smaller nations, one his brother nation, are asking, trying to compel him to join. They're trying to take on uh, his position. And he's told to have faith in God. And then this happens. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. 
But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now here's a fascinating thing. God says to Ahaz, ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, I won't do that. And quotes scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy. He says, no, I won't tempt you. That's fascinating for lots of reasons because we will often say, Lord, give me a sign that this is working. Give me a sign. And I I do that quite a lot. Sometimes I might be battling or struggling with something. I say, oh, Lord, please just show something. And very often God does. You do get a sign. So it seems to me really strange that God says, ask for a sign. And then you might say, no, I'm not going to do that. Why wouldn't Ahaz do that? Here's why. It's because he'd already decided what he was going to do. He'd already decided he could live without God. He's very spiritual. This is a clever, clever thing that we do a lot. Now, you're not a Christian. You know, sometimes an honest atheist is better than a Christian who fakes it. Because an honest atheist goes, no, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe any of that rubbish. But a Christian will say, oh, well, the Lord, this, and they'll quote Bible verses. And Ahaz did that. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why? Because he'd already decided to go his own way. Now, it's interesting. Jesus quotes that very same passage from Deuteronomy when he was tempted in the wilderness. What's the difference? Jesus doesn't take and misquote Scripture and misuse Scripture to his own destruction. Paul, uh, Peter writes this about Paul, 2 Peter 3.16. His letters contain some hard things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other, descriptors, other Scriptures to their own destruction. Just because someone quotes the Bible doesn't mean that they're spiritual and it doesn't mean that they're right. In fact, ignorant and unstable people, unbalanced people, take those and distort those. There are people who claim godliness but deny its power, 2 Timothy 3. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. How often do we do that? We determine what our way is, and then we want to bring God in on our side. One of the best songs I've ever heard is also one of the most bitter, Bob Dylan's With God on Our Side, in which he talks about how uh, it's a hundred years since the uh, First World War, and incidentally, if any of you are looking for clues for a Christmas present, just in case my family haven't done it, Max Hastings, 
First World War, great book, very cheap on Amazon. Uh, great. You know, we, in 2014, we'll be thinking about the First World War. And in the First World War, the Germans sent their troops to war with chaplains and others saying that God was on their side. And the British and the French did exactly the same. We will very, very often decide what we're going to do and then we, we will seek God's blessing on it or we'll tell God that he has to bless it. John 7, 7 says this, Jesus says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Not my will, but yours be done. If, if you want a challenge for this Christmas as a Christian, just let me ask you this. How often do you and I put our will at the center and on the throne? A lot. And then we say to God, come on, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to give us this. You've got to. And God's call to Ahaz is, no, the situation is so dark. Not your will. But Ahaz had already decided he was going to do that. He'd already made up his mind. Second Kings 16 says this. In the 17th year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, Ahaz, king of Jotham, uh, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. He used a lot of spiritual talk but he'd already decided he was going to ally himself with the king of Assyria. And in 2 Kings 16, we read that he made an alliance with Assyria, that he copied the Assyrian altar, that he gave them gold and silver, and that he basically gave up on God. If you were to read on, we won't do it this morning, Isaiah 7, 18 to 25, and then on into chapter 8, you see how that works out for him. There's disaster. There's a lack of prosperity. There's a promise of the cultivated land reverting back to jungle because there wouldn't be enough Israelites. And I think that is a metaphor for the church in Scotland today because we are a failing church remembering our glorious past and our inheritance, but we can no longer sustain its current ministry. That's an absolute parable, direct situation of the church in Scotland today. How ironic. You know, you, some of you know this, that uh, when Prince William went to St. Andrews to um, begin his studies there, the very Sunday that he was formally welcomed and there were crowds in the street, we started a church plant in St. Andrews. And we were using a church called Martyr's Church. And uh, outside that church, there is in the pavement the letters PH for Patrick Hamilton, where Patrick Hamilton was killed for his faith. And when we began that service, the minister of the church was said to me, 
the future is yours. We will close. When I go from here, this church is finished. There's no hope. And she was right. That's what happened. Um, her church did close. Ourselves and the Baptists offered to buy it. Of course, the Church of Scotland refused to sell it to us, and it's now going to be turned into a university library. A church that was absolutely packed. And there are going to be another three churches for sale. In Glasgow, there'll be 25 churches for sale in this coming year. Why? Because I think that what's happened is the church as a whole has failed. We have a glorious past for the church in Scotland, but it's in a mess just now. And we have plenty of people who use lots of spiritual talk. I have become, I have to be really careful here personally, I've become so wary of people using spiritual talk all the time, giving spiritual reasons. I don't want to hear that anymore. I want to see spiritual life. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. Even to Ahaz, he says, I'm giving you a sign. In some ways, there's still hope for this godless king who's turned away from God. He's told, I'm going to give you a sign. Verses 13 and 14, um, actually, it's, it's, it's more than just a sign for Ahaz. That's important to realize because it's plural. It's a sign for God's people. Look what God says in verse 13. Now, when I said just there, I'm tired of hearing people's spiritual talk, some of you may think, well, that's a bit harsh. Well, read this. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? The context of the sign being given is that God is fed up with his people or people who profess his name and who are not listening. God gets weary of our games and our spiritual double talk, our self-centeredness and our arrogance. The question simply is, where is the evidence in our lives that we are for God? The curds and honey that are mentioned there, the idea of a land of plenty. God is saying to Ahaz, you go with Assyria, you end up with a desert. You go with me, you end up with prosperity. I love the contrast here as well because Ahaz calls in an army. Ahaz wants Assyria to help him. God says, I'm sending you a baby. And it just doesn't make any sense to people. I think most people today, when they think about Christmas, will think, ah, oh, the baby's a nice cute story, but how does that actually help anything? How does that actually change anything? Genesis 19, 17, God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. The baby is a sign. How? How can it possibly be a sign for Ahaz? Well, it's a sign for the whole house of David. And it's a sign that in the Old Testament and in the New, there's this, this, this promise always of a coming prince. It's a sign because over Israel was written the words, Ichabod, the glory has departed. God has departed. And the baby is Emmanuel. God is with us. So the sign of the baby is 
there's a great darkness. God has departed, but God is with us. The birth of the royal baby. Do you know this? I have so little interest in it that I can't even, I don't even know the name. I apologize for that. Um, but the birth of the royal baby apparently caused great excitement. I looked at the, they had these, you know, these lists at the end of the year, the things that were most clicked on in the web in the year. And I think the birth of the royal baby was like fourth. Um, I just missed it. I, I just, I'm far more excited about the babies that were born in this church and the ones yet to be born. But nonetheless, if you're a royalist and you're, you're a royal baby watcher and you've got the mugs and you've got everything, fine, great. It causes great, great, great excitement. But there is nothing causes more excitement than God coming in the form of a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. And this is a straight prophecy of Christ. I've not, when you read the books from on Isaiah, they go on and on and on about how, you know, what does this mean and what does that mean? And people argue about this and argue about that. To me, the argument's over. Matthew 1, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why spend books debating what it means when God tells you what it means? Now, that may be a very simplistic faith that I have. So, I believe God. That's it. I mean, honestly, that really is it. I, I, that's enough for me. Matthew's gospel makes it very clear. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. How was that fulfilled? It was fulfilled with Jesus. Now, what intrigues me about this verse is it's probably the most disputed verse in the whole Old Testament. Some of you know that I do a lot of debating and discussing with atheists, and all these people who wouldn't know a word of Hebrew backwards or forwards, they'll tell me, well, you see, in Isaiah 7.14, Alma doesn't mean virgin. That's a mistranslation. It means a young married woman, so it's got nothing to do with it. And it's amazing how they've all become experts in Hebrew. Well, again, you can read reams and reams on this, but it's actually very, again, very straightforward. Alma does mean a young woman, but it means a young unmarried woman. It was never, ever used for a young married woman. And in that culture and in that context, and context is all important, that presupposes that she is a virgin. And what's even more interesting, now I, hadn't, I thought I knew this passage inside out, and I knew the arguments on this inside out, but I only discovered this this week, and it's there for you just to see. The Lord himself will give you a sign, the, bir- the virgin will be the child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now it's a shame the NIV translates it that way, because it says, and she will call him Emmanuel. Now why is that important? Because in that culture, the women didn't get to call babies' names. It was the men who called his name. What will his name be? Zechariah, what's his name? His name is John. Remember that story? So why does it say she will call him? Because there's no father. That's, that's a, a, an interesting just little quirk in all of that. The virgin birth is essential. Why is it essential? Because Jesus did not inherit a sinful nature. He was miraculously conceived so that he's fully human and fully God. He is literally God with us. 9.6, for to us a child is born, to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince 
of peace. Or 11.1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's the extraordinary thing about Christmas. I want to finish by saying something about God with us. On the belts of the SS during the Second World War, there was the phrase, Gott mit uns, God with us. I'm often cited that. I say, well, look, all these people believed in God. No, they didn't. No, they didn't believe in God. That's used in the same way that Bob Dylan was singing about. They made their plans and used the name of God to justify what they were doing. They didn't put their trust in the child Jesus. They believed they were masters of their own destiny. God with us does not mean that God will provide us with all we want or justify all that we do. It does not mean for Ahaz that God will give him an army or prevent his people from suffering. And Jesus coming into this world and being with us does not mean that in 2014 you will never experience pain, hunger, loss, depression, or discouragement. It just simply means what it says, that he will be with you in all of that. And so for me, the message is remarkably simple. Forgive me for being in a 1970s mode, but you can, in the words of Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way if you want. You can call it another lonely day. That's, that's your choice. And people think, well, that's so wonderful, isn't it, to be able to go your own way? No, it's not, because you walk in darkness. And you can shout out the darkness all you want. You are not going to be able to bring light into the darkness. Or you can go Christ's way. The baby Jesus means that God is with us. And unlike, you know how they have that advert, uh, a dog is not just for Christmas. Christ is not just for Christmas. Christmas passes, but Christ remains. I think that's why this passage is so reassuring. Once you understand the context, once you understand the darkness that was there, and once you understand that here hope is being given to Ahaz by pointing forward 750 years to somebody who's going to die on a cross, you can then understand how we can have hope because everything in the universe centers around Jesus coming into this world. There's hope in this because this is a predictive prophecy that came true. But even more than the predictive aspect of it, I like what John L. Mackay says. God does not save us from a distance. Remember that song? From a distance, God is watching us and so on. It's rubbish. God's not watching us from a distance. God does not save us from a distance, but draws close to his covenant people so that his presence with them in and through the child to be born will be evident. Ahaz, give me help. Give me strength. You and I will say that. Lord, give us a sign. And God says, this is the sign. 
the child in the manger, Emmanuel, God with us. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Still love that phrase. After all they'd seen, after the resurrection everything, they're so human, they're so like us. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The sun always shines. Jesus is always with us. I am not in any sense attempting to underplay the darkness and the discouragements that you feel, go through, are going through, or will go through. But the Lord will always be with you. If you are a believer, you trust Him, you commit yourself to Him. That's the choice. The choice is you go your own way, you go Christ's way. Please don't seek to manipulate God. Please don't twist the Scriptures. Please don't treat God the way that you treat other people, to be used and abused and focused around you. Instead, just rejoice that God is in control. And look at that list of names, Thatcher and Mandela and others who've gone. They're not going to save us. They haven't saved us. But there's one who came and who will never, ever go. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to us and enable us to know that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, may your hand be upon every one of us and those of us who are struggling with different things. Lord, we ask that you would bless each one and we thank you and we rejoice in your goodness to us. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.